Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Hello and welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast, a member of the Agora Podcast Network. I'm your host, Heather Tesco, and I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and our connection to our own humanity. This is episode 101. It's another joint episode with Melita Thomas of Tudor Times on Anne of Brittany. First, I want to thank the lovely patrons of this show who keep it independent. Thank you to Elizabeth, Kathy, Cynthia, Jurgen, Sarah, Megan, Melissa, Lady Anne, aka Jessica, Olivia, Al, Ashley, Kendra, Cynthia, Judith, Renee, Katie, Mara, Emily, Selene, Laura, another one, Ian, Barbara, Shar, Kiva, Amy, Allison, Joanne, Kathy, Christine, Annetta, Susan, Andrea, Catherine, Rebecca from Tudor's Dynasty, Shandor, Philip, and John. To learn more about how you can become part of this intelligent and discerning group for as little as a dollar an episode, go to patreon.com slash englandcast. Also, remember you can support the show in two other ways. First, you can leave a rating on iTunes, which is free and makes a huge difference. Second, you can do all of your Mother's Day holiday shopping at tutorfair.com, which is the place for tutor swag and fun products like the t-shirt that says, keep calm and be grateful Henry VIII isn't your husband, which I am every day. So now let me introduce you to Melita. Melita is a co-founder and editor of Tudor Times, a website devoted to Tudor and Stuart history in the period from 1485 to 1625. You can find it at tutortimes.co.uk. Melita, who has always been fascinated by history ever since she saw the 1970s series Elizabeth R. with Glenda Jackson, also contributes articles to BBC History Extra and Britain Magazine. So I've just been refreshing myself on Anne of Brittany. Yeah. I like Anne of Brittany. She's, well, I would she's... like to know more about her because I know, I know very little. I mean, I know absolutely nothing. So this is, I started reading a little bit about her for our call and I realized that I just don't know anything so maybe we can just jump right in and you can tell us yeah. about Anne of Brittany. Yeah, no, um, well, really, I mean, I sort of start off with the reason why I wanted to research her and why we wanted to put her on Tudor Times. She's the first person we've done outside uh, England and Scotland. So she's a, a bit of a foray into into the, well, uh, we've got a biog of um, Isabella of Castile, but not a not a person of the month feature. And just sort of interested in expanding our 
reach because so much of Tudor and Stuart politics is about the relationship with with the rest of Europe. So you can't really understand the whole background of the different countries without seeing how they were all interrelated politically. And Anne of Brittany is um, particularly interesting. She was a Duchess of Brittany in her own right, uh, which, of course, not many not many women did have um, were rulers in their own right. But she's also the only woman to have been twice crowned as Queen of France. Ah, yes. So she was. I mean, in in many ways, her life was actually very very sad, and perhaps is a sort of a microcosm of the position of young women who found themselves as as rulers. Mm. Um. So Brittany at the time was was separate from France. It was not not a part of the Kingdom of France. It was an independent duchy. Mm. And uh, it was ruled by Anne's father, Francis, who was not a particularly effective duke, although he had rather cleverly um, maintained his position of independence by playing England and France off against each other, because France was forever trying to to capture Brittany. I mean, that was that was the idea. Uh, But. Uh, the Duke of Brittany, Francis, had uh, protected Henry VII when he was uh, Earl of Richmond. So that's he he protected Henry and his uncle Jasper Tudor when they were exiled. Okay. And so he was always, you know, saying he'd he'd uh, he'd hand them over to the English or he'd hand them over to the French or you know. So yeah. he, he he was using them. Uh, so Anne probably knew Henry VII, although she was only a little girl when he uh, uh, invaded England. She was about eight when he left. But Francis, he had lots of uh, sort of troubles in his own duchy. There was quite a, a wide feeling that he put too much power into the hands of his minister, Pierre Landay, mm. and many of his nobles resented that. And at the same time, the uh, regent of France, Anne of Beaujeu, she was obviously undermining Francis as fast as she could by supporting his rebels. Uh, you know, that rings a bell for me just from the, the Tony Rich's book, uh, his series on Henry and the part where they were exiled. I, yeah, I, he yeah. talks a little <laughs> bit about that. So now that you're saying that, it's like, okay, that I, I remember that. Yes, yeah. And it, it ended in something called the Mad War, which is where the King of France, Charles VIII, and his sister Anne of Beaujeu, who was his regent, were supporting Breton rebels. And then on the other side, there was Louis of Orléans, who was the heir to the French crown, supporting the um, the Bretons. So, so it was all very complicated, and so they called it the Mad War. Oh, my goodness. And Francis, who was uh, in declining health, he just had his two daughters, and he was desperate to find... Um, a husband for Anne who would be able to protect his duchy against the French. So there were various people mentioned, a few whom Louis of Orléans was one, and you know a few other sort of um, likely-looking noblemen, including um, the uh, Alain d'Albret, whose uh, brother was married to the Queen of Navarre. Then the in the Mad War, Anne of Beaujeu was successful, and there was a treaty between France and Brittany in which it was agreed that uh, Anne's marriage would be had would need to be approved by the French. The, the Bretons would not be able to marry Anne to anybody without French consent. And shortly afterwards, Francis died. So there was Anne. She was just about 12 years old. She was Duchess of Brittany. Her claim wasn't 100% because there was another branch of the Breton royal family as well. So there was all sorts of complications. But she was recognised as Duchess by the by the Breton parliament 
And then, of course, the big question came, who was she going to marry? Uh, so the French were saying, well, you know, she can only marry somebody we choose. And the Breton nobles were quarreling amongst themselves. And Anne, you know, at 12 years old, it's difficult to know how much influence she had, but she was clearly involved in discussions about the future. And she was very much in favour of a marriage with Maximilian, who was uh, king of the Romans, later the emperor, and he was recently widowed. So uh, it, that was agreed that she would marry Maximilian. There was a proxy marriage. Uh, so she was you know, officially now queen of the Romans as well as Duchess of Brittany. But the French objected, funnily enough, and yeah, as, they, as they were bound to do, and they invaded again. And Maximilian, as always, let, him, let his allies down. He had a history of doing that. There was no sign of him. Anne was surrounded by French troops, and she was given a couple of choices. Charles VIII said, well, if you hand over the duchy to me, you can go off, I'll, I'll give you an escort and you can go and marry Maximilian and give me your duchy. You can marry one of my men, if you can choose which one, or you can marry me and be Queen of France and stay as Duchess of Brittany. Ah. Yeah. So, and there she was, 14 years old, and that was the choice that she had to make. It was rumoured that Charles had raped her, but she denied that and chose to marry him. So whether he did or whether he made it clear that that was another possible outcome or whether that was just, you know, a slander, we, we don't know. But she accepted to marry Charles. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, surprisingly, uh, the English and Maximilian and the Spanish were also all very surprised. And you think, well, you know, if they only had kept to the treaties and helped her, that she wouldn't have been in that position. So, right. Uh, poor girl. And yeah. So how, I mean, why were they surprised? What did they, what did they well, think was going to Yeah. They thought, oh my goodness, we know, you know, we never thought the French would really do that. We never thought, we thought that she was safely married to Maximilian, but Maximilian hadn't turned up and France had turned up. So yes, it was, it was never going to end well for poor Anne. Yeah. So, but she, you know, she obviously made a sensible choice in, in, in the, in the circumstances she found herself in. So she married Charles and she became Queen of France. She was a, a woman who enjoyed magnificence. And just reading about the, the dowry she took with her or, or her trousseau that she took into France with her, uh, she had a coach um, with horses with trapped in black velvet. Uh, her gown that she wore cost over 60,000 francs and she had a velvet cloak with 139 sable pelts so you know so she was she was a pretty impressive sight uh, she took with her a couple of fancy beds uh, draped in violet damask and cloth of gold um you know all sorts of beautiful things her wedding dress uh, was of cloth of gold at 7350 francs the yard i i mean you just you just can't imagine such magnificence right i, I don't suppose Meghan markle's dress is going to cost nearly so much <laughs> <laughs> wow but, yeah so yeah so it's so she must have been a glittering sight as, and she was she was crowned as queen of france in saint denis and she and Charles, it's very difficult to get to the bottom of what their personal relationship was like. Personally, I don't think it can have started very well. I mean, you know, she, she was, didn't have much choice in marrying him. He was certainly not a physically attractive man. He was, uh, you know, described in quite a, 
scathing terms in, in his in, in his looks as uh, small and ill-formed, an ugly face with large light eyes, sees rather badly, an aquiline nose, much out of proportion to the rest of his face. His lips are big and he keeps them constantly open. Oh, wow. Yeah. You can watch your Betty snored. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but... There she was. She was married to him. Um, she was described about the same time, uh, a little. this is a few years after her marriage, as uh, small and thin in person, lame in one foot, with us- using a false heel, very determined for her age, so much so that if a wish enters her head by smiles or tears at any cost, she will obtain it. Ooh. Yeah, so a determined young woman. Yeah. Uh, so she and Charles, they had numerous children, or numerous uh, children, all of whom died young, apart from one Dauphin, Charles, who who died actually uh, as a young child. So, yeah, very, very sad um, history of childbirth. Uh, so so none of them, none of them survived. So Anne and Charles, yeah, they lived together as, as king and queen of France. He wouldn't let her have any say in what was going on in the duchy he completely ruled Brittany for her she had you know no independence no independence at all charles was i want to say he he was very very determined to increase french influence and in 1494 he invaded italy conquered the kingdom of naples and set in train you know what was known as the italian wars for 60 years the french and the spanish argued over who would have the most power in 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 Italy and Charles um he managed to conquer Naples but actually within a very short time it was it was he lost all the possessions and the and the Spanish took it over what like what was the relationship like with England at that point then because um you've got the new Tudor dynasty uh and I had read was it true had she been betrothed to Edward V she had, yeah. That was one of the one of the matches that Duke Francis tried to organise for her. But of course, well, well, I was about to say we know what happened to Edward V, but but yeah, we don't, <laughs> do we? <laughs> yes, we we know that uh, um, obviously he 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 was deposed by his uncle and and never seen again. Right. Uh, but this was in the period bef- while while Anne's father was still alive. Um, so during the fourteen nineties, uh, Henry the Seventh. Uh, had invaded France. Uh, this was before um, the, the marriage had, had finally taken place between Anne and Charles. And Charles had um, effectively paid Henry off. So he uh, agreed a nice fat pension for Henry. And Henry agreed to accept the marriage between Brittany and France. Okay. And this gave Charles the opportunity to turn his thoughts towards Italy because he could then... Um, then be sure that uh, England wasn't going to invade because Henry VII, although he was he was actually very effective when he did go to war, you know, didn't it was not his preferred policy. Yeah, he he was he was more um, more peacefully inclined. Sure, sure. Okay, so there wasn't much going on with England no, at this time. No, no, no. England was England was quiet. There was the old alliance with France with with um, France and Scotland, which which was ticking along, but nothing in particular was happening during that period. And uh, the the main rivalry was with Spain in Italy. And then in fourteen ninety nine, no, a little bit before that, fourteen ninety eight, I think it was. Uh, 
Charles and um, Anne were uh, going to a tennis match. I mean, he wasn't a very faithful husband, let's uh, to put it mildly. So I don't think Anne had a particularly happy life from that perspective. But um, he did still, you know, treat her publicly as his queen. And one day he uh, went to see Anne in her, at Amboise, where they were living at the Chateau at Amboise, and took her hand and they were going off to see a tennis match and Charles hit his head on the doorway oh yeah and he didn't think anything of it um but he they watched the game and then he said to one of his bishops that he hoped never to commit another sin as long as he lived and fortunately for his word uh, he was dead within 12 hours um presumably the head, the blow on the head had given him a brain hemorrhage yeah, so completely shocking. Gets up one day, hits his head on the doorway and is dead by nightfall. Wow. Yeah, that's, no, just, that's so something. What, yeah, that was must have been a complete shock by for Anne because uh, she had their little Dauphin had died. So they had no children. And according to uh, the treaty, she could now return to Brittany, but she still had to marry in accordance with French wishes. And it had been agreed as part of the marriage treaty that if Charles died, Anne would marry his successor successor if the, they had had no children themselves. So that was still Louis of Orléans, who had previously um, been a possible suitor and who had been her father's ally. For, from Anne's perspective, well, that wasn't necessarily a bad thing because Louis was already married. So what was he going to do about that? Right. So, and his heir, he had no children of his own, was a four-year-old. Oh, okay. So possibly Anne thought, great, this is this is my way out. And before, you know, she, she completed her 40 days of mourning that, you know, the French queens have to do when they're all sort of dressed in white and hidden away. But while she was doing that, she was busy sending orders off to Brittany. She was appointing her officers. She was preparing to return home. And as soon as she could... She took herself off back to Brittany, uh, had her own coinage minted and, you know, began to take up Breton rule. But while she was on her way back, she met with Louis, who said, oh, well, you remember that treaty where you've got to marry me? And she obviously said, well, you're already married. And he said, I'm going to get an annulment. I've been married for 22 years to my cousin Jean, but uh, I'm going to tell the Pope that we never consummated the marriage because Jean is so was so deformed I couldn't do it right okay it's very I mean he could have at least come up with one of those stories of being cousins that they all knew about right 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 after 22 years he humiliated his poor wife by saying she was uh, too deformed to sleep with right I mean Jean came quite well out of it because she became a duchess of Berry and had a nice fat income and founded a founded an order of nuns so um you know it wasn't all bad but uh and was then presented with the fact that uh, Louis had managed to attain an annulment and she had to marry him. Mm-hmm. Okay. She was in a better position than she'd previously been and the treaty was more favourable to Brittany than the than the one when she married Charles. And whilst she was married to Louis, she did have much more independence in the duchy and was given you know, much more opportunity to rule herself. But it was always, you know, it was always Louis behind it. She could never completely control her duchy. Okay. And then um, the other point in the in the treaty, she was very, very keen to keep Brittany separate from France. And it was agreed that if 
she had two children or two, you know, two sons, the, the second child, whether a son or a daughter would take Brittany as their their inheritance and it would be and it would remain separate from France. Mm. And she tried very hard during the 1500s to sort of arrange another fate for Brittany. She agreed the marriage of uh, her daughter, Claude. She and Louis had two daughters eventually. And she wanted Claude to marry uh, the Archduke Charles, uh, later Emperor Charles V. And Louis was not keen. He he did agree to begin with, but then he changed his mind and uh, Claude was betrothed to his, his heir, Francois. Okay. Yeah. I mean, again, it's difficult to know what the personal relationship between Anne and Louis was. I, I think it was probably better than the one she had with Charles. He was more respectful of her position as a duchess and you know he he'd been her father's ally and you know there was less there was sort of less coercion involved in the whole marriage and he certainly seems to have been you know very attached to her as queen of france she was obviously a very wealthy woman she was a great patron of arts and uh, one of her one of her prayer books the 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 great hours of the duchess of brittany of anne of brittany uh, one of the most beautiful uh, illuminated manuscripts of the period uh, so she was um she's a very religious woman she went on a number of different pilgrimages one of the interesting things she did of which i can find very little information but she founded an order of chivalry for ladies Oh wow! Yeah, I know, and I just I'm, I would really like to go to France and try and find out more about it. But uh, there was the obviously there was the Order of the Garter in uh, England, which was open to you know there were there were ladies of the Garter as well. There was the Order of Saint Michel in France, the Order of the Golden Fleece in Burgundy, and Anne began a an order called the Order of the Cordelier. And sometimes this is represented as a, a chivalric order for ladies, but it's also sometimes thought to be a a religious order. So, you know, not quite clear on, on which it is and, and could do with more research, but uh, but interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, yeah, the order of the ladies of the cord, yes, order de cordelier. And the motto was, J'ai le corps délié, which is, I have an unbound body. And there's been quite a lot of speculation about what the motto represented. Was it the scourge from the Passion of Christ? Was it the belt of the Franciscan order, which was one of uh, Anne's favourite orders? Or was it about delivery from the bonds of matrimony is another suggestion. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, very, very, very interesting that. And many of her, the objet d'art, her... Uh, beautiful tapestries. There's a series of tapestries, um, not the famous Lady and the Unicorn tapestries, but another series called The Hunting of the Unicorn, I think, which uh, is a beautiful series. And it shows Louis and Anne at the hunt. And it's, you know, embroidered with, with A's for her her, her her name and her little, these little cords that she, she puts on everything. Yeah. So some beautiful artifacts. So, and she spent most of her time in the, in the chateaus of the Loire, Blois, and Amboise, you know, so so living a very sort of beautiful Renaissance life. There was one occasion when Louis was thought to be dying, and we can perhaps gain a sense of what her views were because she started packing up her jewels and she was ready to she was ready to head for Brittany. She'd ordered the barges, the the, the furniture was being piled on, and then uh, one of Louis's ministers prevented her leaving. Oh wow! Pointing out that the king wasn't dead yet. Right, right, right. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but uh, and in fact, Louis survived. 
and that they had another rupture a bit later where they quarreled about the marriage of their daughter as i said she wanted claude to be married to charles of uh, burgundy and louis wanted her to be married to his his cousin francois and and took herself off to Brittany for five or six months and toured the duchy and you know generally made her presence felt eventually she was persuaded to go back to to louis but um yeah, I think you can sort of detect a bit of marital marital tension there. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So she died quite young. Was she quite young when she died? Yeah, she was she was just so she was 37. So as well as all the stillbirths and and loss of children she had with Charles, the same pattern repeated itself with Louis. So she had Claude in uh, 1499 and then she didn't have another living child till 1512. But she had a whole series of um, infant deaths and stillbirths. I mean, you'd guess there was some. She had some um, some issues, some health issue. I mean, perhaps perhaps something that today could be quite easily yeah, cured, something you know, just something hormonal or something like or, that. Yeah, yeah, or perhaps anemia, uh, anemia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So poor so So she and she never really covered recovered from Renee's birth in fifteen twelve, and she died in. January 1514, just a few weeks before her 38th birthday. Within by by the end of May, um, Francois had uh, recognised Claude as Duchess of Brittany instead of the second child, as the treaty had said, and married her to Francois. So Brittany was subsumed into the Kingdom of France and um, remained there ever since. Wow, interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, Louis appeared to mourn Anne's death, that he had a most magnificent funeral, one of the, you know, superb, uh, if you like that sort of thing, you know, black horses and velvet and trappings and ermine and processions by torchlight and things. But he was, um, you know, he was reconciled uh, in the October of that year by um, by marrying the Princess of England, Mary. So. <laughs> he, he got over it and in fact he, he died within a year of Anne he, he died the following January and w- was buried with her that's quite sad so kind of what yeah. what sort of legacy did they leave why is it important to learn about her they there is a strong legacy in in Brittany that, that they, they still you know commemorate her as their last duchess um she you know she's she's much talked of there still uh as a as a renaissance queen she she certainly promoted the arts and culture but i i, I think it's you, you can see within her a, a woman who could have been a, an extremely whether she would have been a good ruler you know one doesn't know but she was certainly prepared to to rule in the same way that you know she just didn't manage to pull it off as isabella of castile did possibly because isabella was you know five or six years older and more able to to take control and anne and at the age of 12 or 13, just couldn't. Had she been five years older uh, when her father died, things might have been very different. And, you know, Brittany might have remained as an independent state for for a lot longer. And, yeah, you can sort of see the the kind of frustration. She, she, she wanted to rule. She could have done. She had the right to, but the, the French kings wouldn't let her. Or, and, and, of course, that was, a, that was a matter of her gender. Had she been a boy you know, none of this would ever have arisen. Right. That's really interesting because that was such a, that was, she was in that period, like I'm thinking about the Sarah Griswood and the eight, the game of Queens and that period where women were starting to step into, into their role as ruler. But it seems like it was just, she was just a little bit too young for, to have that. 
And funnily, her, her big opponent was Anne of Beaujeu, who, who Sarah Griswood writes about, and she was regent of France, or, or her husband was officially regent, but, you know, Anne wore the trunk hose, so to speak. There was, there was no doubt about that. So, so yes, her, her, her great opponent was another woman. Right, right. Yeah. But, yeah, had she been five years older, she would probably, her, her father would have arranged a marriage for her by then, and she would have... Um, you know, perhaps she would have married Maximilian and been empress. Um, but his Maximilian was perhaps, although he didn't generally observe his word, his county of, you know, Burgundy, which had come to him from his first wife, went went to her heirs, their children. He didn't try to, to keep it. And perhaps he would have done the same with Brittany. Okay. Yeah. They might have had children, of course. Yeah. You know, married to, because neither Charles, Charles had no children obviously by Anne and in fact Louis other than the two daughters he'd had no sons no children by his first wife in 22 years of marriage so you know perhaps there was a whole raft of um, health issues in the French royal family. And surely they were all related and everything by that point. So. Well they, they were although um, Anne you know perhaps not quite so closely related um, uh, but you know, yeah, they were all they were all cousins. So if there was if there was some kind of a genetic issue, they might have all had it as well. They might, yes, yeah, yeah. Interesting. So where can we go to learn more about her? What kind of books are there? And I is oh. are there any portrayals of her like in popular culture or anything like that? Like in any of the historical fiction series that people would know? Not well, not that I've really come across. I mean, the. the I can't find, I haven't found a good modern biography of her in English. There may be some in French, but I haven't come across any. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of, uh, you know, there are, there are a couple from the early, early years of the, 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 19, of the 20th century, you know, quite well-researched stuff, although, um, you know, perhaps a little romantic in tone. Um, there's a lot of the letters of Louis Twelfth survive. There's a collection of those. So you can find out, you know, the political um, information that's going on uh, from Louis's letters. Uh, there is a correspondence between in Louis's letters from Marguerite of Austria, who was then regent of the Netherlands. So you know, mentions things. Um, oh, just a, as an aside, when in 1513, when uh, England invaded France, Henry VIII invaded France, and encouraged James the Fourth of Scotland to invade England. She sent him a turquoise ring and asked him to be her be her knight. So yeah, so which was her duty as Queen of France. She was, you know, she she was doing that. Um so yeah, other no, very interesting. I mean, if you if you go to Brittany, I think there's probably plenty to find about her, but sadly I couldn't justify a trip to Brittany. <laughs> maybe I will. <laughs> That's funny. Well you maybe you can write the next biography of her. Uh, yeah, I would quite like that. I think it'd be interesting, but it would it would need a lot of time in the Bibliothèque Française. Uh, yeah. I think there's I think there's probably quite a lot of uh, stuff there that hasn't been hasn't been brought out. Um, yeah. yeah, so interesting, a very interesting woman. So how did so you how do did your research you... on her for for the tutorial well, teacher? Well, a lot of it was the the letters I mentioned. So and the the two biographies. There's uh, you know various histories of France. Um, information about, you know, at Saint-Denis, there's uh, a, 
a, a French treatise on the coronations of the kings and queens of France, which describes her coronation. Uh, there's the book about her funeral, um, which Louis commissioned. So that's, you know, the copies of that are still extant, you can you can see. Um, but yeah, no, there's quite a, quite a bit of digging around and, and inferring from other events. So, you know, the mad war is... Uh, is known about the the Italian wars. A very very good book about the Italian wars. Um, the name of which I can't remember off the top of my head. It's in the bibliography that's that's on the Tudor Times website. So there's a, there's a bibliography on there of of where we got the information from. Um, yeah, but I, I'd like to know more. Interesting, interesting. Well, thank you for sharing as much as you could about Ooh. her. Thank you again to Melita for taking the time to tell us about Anne. For more information, go to tutortimes.co.uk or see the resources available on the England Cast site at englandcast.com. Also remember, if you like this show, the biggest ways you can help is to leave a rating on iTunes and tell a friend about it. And you can also do your shopping at tutorfair.com. So I'll be back in another two weeks, and I hope you have a great time until then. Okay, talk with you soon. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.